This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's getting really hot in here. It's so hot. It's Getting Hot in Here is a programme about giving voice to the people in our community working for environmental and social change. The climate emergency is the defining issue of our lifetime. So Plains FM has partnered with Eastern Rising to bring you content that helps us understand the climate crisis and explores actions to help us all to save ourselves. Kia ora koutou. I'm Tanya Didham with Eastern Rising. Have you noticed that it's getting hot in here? Protesters wanting the government to take urgent action on climate change have descended on the capital. They have smashed windows at the Shell headquarters near Waterloo, painted their messages on the streets and blocked key roads, saying they'll stay as long as it takes for the government to listen. Are human beings creating climate change? Overwhelmingly, the science is telling us we are. While nearly two-thirds believe the climate is changing, currently just 40% of Americans think they will personally be affected by it. I absolutely believe and continue to stand by the statement that climate change is the biggest challenge of our time. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. And for us here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that means for this generation, this is our nuclear moment. In New Zealand, a recent poll found 79% of Kiwis feel climate change is important to them personally. That's a good number, an increase since last year. But what do we do with this information? Are we talking about it in our daily lives with friends and co-workers? Or are we nervously laughing it off and panicking in solitude? With every doom-laden report, we feel more helpless and... Hopeless. Part of the tactics of the group here, they're describing this action as non-violent civil disobedience. First time I've ever been arrested. First time I've ever been in a protest of this uh, importance. I really feel that uh, nothing is being done to, uh, to, to, to combat climate change. Most media, depending where they fall on the political spectrum as well, are sharing climate science and local information. But if we don't carry that conversation into our daily lives, no strategies are thought through, no plans are formed, no one takes action, and the planet continues to heat. Flooding, heat waves, wildfires will become more frequent, while increasingly large storm systems bring deluges that flood our catchments. We need to adapt faster. So how do we break the cycle of inaction? What do we do? What the heck is happening to our planet? Dr Catherine Hayhoe is one of the world's leading climate scientists and creator of the excellently accessible YouTube series Global Weirding. She says the number one thing we can do is talk about climate change. California. The last few years, it's been locked in a drought so severe, we have to go back centuries to find a single comparable year, let alone a stretch like we've seen today. And it's not about spouting science. Arguing facts is a pointless exercise. Instead, another approach is to talk about how it will affect us as individuals. Bring the conversation down to the personal investment. Connect the dots between what is important to people and how those things are affected by changing climate. There's no way about it. We have to relocate to better ground. This is Warren Jones, a community leader in the Alaskan Arctic. 
get these engineers out there with the certificates and say it's good land, even though our elders know already what land to pick. We all have skin in this game. Tree huggers, house owners, politicians, farmers, factory workers. Climate breakdown doesn't discriminate. Australia is suffering through a heat wave right now. And as fire experts and scientists are saying, it's these lengthy, intensifying drought conditions, which are a result of rising global temperatures, which make the risk of fire extreme and catastrophic. There are scary natural disasters happening all over the planet right now. Our global average temperature is already up one degree from pre-industrial levels. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, says to avoid disaster, we must limit warming to within 1.5 degrees. Yet, our current trajectory has us on course for a four-degree rise. Will we sleepwalk into a climate apocalypse? We will not let you get away with this. Greta Thunberg. Right here, right now, is where we draw the line. The world is waking up. And change is coming, whether you like it or not. To move forward, we need hope and action. To have that hope, we need a vision of a better future to head towards. Communities with abundant, sustainable energy, stable economies with resources available to all. The solutions already exist. Some are simple, and not only save the planet, but money too. Like walking more, biking, taking the bus, eating less meat and dairy, looking into solar panels planting more native trees in our gardens and cities, buying and producing local. Maybe in the near future we'll leave home and hit a power-down switch that turns off everything but the fridge and the hot water. Denial and despair are the enemy. Small countries like New Zealand can't buy into the but we're too small to matter nonsense. We have to start moving beyond targets. We have to start moving beyond aspirations. We have to start moving beyond statements of hope and deliver signs of action. We all have a duty to play a part. And New Zealand should be leading the world. Innovation is in our DNA. We're global high achievers and we're small enough to try new things that can scale up. This program aims to help you find the information you need that will inspire you to act for our planet and for our future. Power to the people, power to the people. People got the power, people got the power. Tell me, can you feel it? Tell me, can you feel it? Getting stronger by the hour, getting stronger by the hour. Kia ora. Power! No one is coming to save us. It's up to us to save ourselves and our future. I think this is a reason for hope. Professor Richard Jackson, the director of the National Centre for Peace and Conflict Studies at the University of Otago. He's been exploring how prepared we are to deal with the effects of the climate crisis and what we can do to prepare. Sadly, our current national and international institutions, I believe, are ill-equipped to deal with both the coming disruption and the conflict caused by climate change and the kinds of radical society-wide uh, changes that will be needed to adapt uh, to this new environment. At a recent presentation in Christchurch, Professor Jackson described a mammoth task ahead of us, 
starting with government action, which he says is currently captured by those who benefit from it the most. In terms of modern politics, the underfunding of public institutions as a result of the long-running neoliberal ideology, tax avoidance and the undertaxing of corporations and the wealthy, which means that public institutions don't have the capacity to make the kinds of interventions and investments needed for social and economic transformation. The bonds between business and politics such that politicians are more afraid of and beholden to corporate interests and lobbyists than they are to their constituents. The reality is that there is an adaptive capacity gap. The amount of adaption we are going to require far outstrips the institutional and material resources that we currently have in our political system. In other words, to a great extent, the political system is captured by the very class who benefits most from its continuation, and it's unlikely to voluntarily transform the system which benefits it the most. Because no one is coming to save us, and because governments and public institutions cannot yet be relied upon to respond adequately, citizens, communities, civil society organizations, universities, churches, and a great many other groups will need to find ways of dealing with these challenges themselves. For example, and these are just a few of the things that I brainstormed, I mean obviously we're going to have to try and transition to a low carbon economy, develop a low or no growth economic system, put restrictions on the activities of corporations, enact radical changes to the taxation system, end subsidies for carbon-based energy companies, provide subsidies for green housing, green transport, and green energy, invest in new green technologies, develop sustainable green public transportation systems, change building codes and enact green housing policies, promote cultural change to consumption patterns, make changes to the educational system, make changes to farming practices and food production and distribution networks. We're going to have to work at demilitarization and the dismantling of the war system. A lot of people don't know this, but the military contributes something like 20%, and it would be in the top 10 of countries if it was a country contributing to climate change. Huge, uh, very disruptive, radical changes to society. Professor Jackson describes how the scientific facts to date haven't been enough to kickstart the required action to close the adaptive capacity gap. Governments, major institutions, corporations, and to some extent the wider society are going to need to be forced into making radical change. They will not do it willingly. As we've already seen over many decades now, Appeals to science and reason will not be enough to generate the kind of action from government that we need. The science was settled so long ago. The evidence was there. But reason and facts are having no effect. In effect, this means that we will have to be prepared to use coercive force in rebellious, disruptive, direct action. And I believe this kind of coercion is necessary because, first, the political class needs to fear the disobedient people more than it fears the special corporate interests. <laughs> and secondly, we have to overcome the broader fear of change in society. However, direct action and political protest is not going to be enough on its own. It will not suffice to simply act against current policies and ways of doing things and rely on the government to do all the hard work. 
There is also a crucial need for the simultaneous building of alternative structures and institutions which can embody and enact the kind of world we want to create. This approach entails creating new realities through action, and it's exemplified in the popular phrase, be the change you wish to see in the world. Act as if the world you want to make already exists. Now, importantly, there are numerous examples of activist communities experimenting with exactly these kinds of actions all over the world. Extinction Rebellion not only practiced direct democ democracy in their organizing, but they also try to create and expand the reach of citizen assemblies as a way of creating a new kind of democratic politics that's not reliant on political parties and the existing political institutions. Other groups are creating their own food production systems in local areas to help create food security and reduce inequalities through things like communal gardens and guerrilla gardening, for example. Others are creating carbon-free transportation systems or reclaiming the streets for walking and cycling. Others are building shared eco-housing communities or eco-villages, creating homeschooling cooperatives, establishing bartering systems, recycling systems, and many, many more. The examples are all there. Professor Jackson acknowledges it's a scary prospect to change the system, and we'll all need to be in it together. Either way, existence on Earth will be changed by the climate forever. But there's going to be major disruptions in any case. Change is almost always traumatic and upsetting. But as individuals, we have an ethical responsibility to try our best to take personal responsibility. First, we will need to overcome our fear. And secondly, we will need to maintain hope in the long struggle ahead. I think this can be achieved in large part through taking the first step of joining together with others in action movements and protest groups. Fear is best overcome in a collective cooperative effort with others who share your values and concerns. If the power of collective nonviolent resistance can overthrow powerful governments and affect radical change, and we know that that can happen, then it is possible. So radical change to a green economy and a socially just, radically democratic society is going to be impossible until it's not. You're listening to It's Getting Hot In Here on Plains FM. Addressing climate change needs not just individual and household action, but also political action. Kia ora, ko Sharon Torstenson tēnei. I'm Sharon Torstenson, and I've been checking out what's happening in our regional and local councils. What policies are our councillors making? How are they changing their operating practices? How can you influence policy and support your councillors to make good decisions regarding climate change? I'd like to start with a quick look back to 2017. That was when the Chair of Environment Canterbury and the Mayors of Christchurch City Council, Waimakariri District Council and Selwyn District Council joined other leaders from around Aotearoa and signed the Local Government Leaders' Climate Change Declaration. By signing that, they committed our councils to develop and implement ambitious action plans that reduce greenhouse gas emissions and support resilience within the councils themselves and for our local communities. These plans will promote walking, cycling, public transport and other low-carbon transport options, work to improve the resource efficiency 
and health of homes, businesses and infrastructure, and support the use of renewable energy and uptake of electric vehicles. They also undertook to work with communities to understand, prepare for and respond to the physical impacts of climate change and to work with central government to deliver on national emission reduction targets and support community resilience. So what's been happening recently that supports these commitments? Well, back in December, Environment Canterbury decided on a submission to the Climate Change Response Emissions Trading Reform Amendment Bill. Some of their key points were that ECAN strongly supported components of the bill that enable the ETS to drive emissions reductions and help deliver on our climate objectives. It supported measures to cap emissions covered by the ETS and was particularly supportive of unit supply being set in accordance with emission budgets set through the Climate Change Response Zero Carbon Amendment Act. It strongly supported efforts to reduce on-farm agricultural emissions and ECAN will seek opportunities to support this work where possible. It's particularly keen to see policies aimed at reducing agricultural emissions complement policies for improving water quality. It supports the partnership approach between government, iwi Māori and the primary sector and it supports those forestry-related changes in the bill that reduce operational complexity and incentivise afforestation, especially native forests. It cautioned against incentivising exotic forestry at a scale that's not in New Zealand's long-term interests. Oh, and by the way, government is keen for feedback on the specific settings that are being proposed, including unit supply and price controls that will be set by regulation. If you know all about that sort of stuff, then feedback is open until the 28th of February. If you go to www.mfe.gov.nz and look for their consultations page, then you can have your say there. The new Waimakariri District Council has set up a new climate change and sustainability portfolio and appointed Councillor Nikki Meerlings to hold the portfolio. Council has identified this topic as one of its key 2020-22 to 22 term priorities, agreeing a set of actions and measures in developing its approach in this area. Over 2020, it plans to draw up an overall strategic approach to climate change, engaging extensively with the community on this approach and actions that might follow. And back in December, the Council, at its first meeting, agreed to the use of Council-owned sites in townships around Waimakariri for electric vehicle charging stations for public use. Christchurch City Council identified climate change leadership as one of its six strategic priorities some time ago. Its latest available progress report, that's April 2019, said that a climate change strategy is in place and they were progressing towards an updated strategy which would be followed by mitigation and adaptation plans. Some of the projects and actions that Council has listed on its website include transport and cycleway projects and the YouGo electric car fleet, eco-design advice for new homes and an innovation and sustainability fund for community projects. Now all councils are reviewing their spending as part of the annual plan process right now 
and soon they'll be calling for submission on their draft plans. Make sure you take that opportunity when it comes along to support spending that helps deliver on the commitments made in their climate change declaration. That's all for this month. If you have council-related climate change news to share or can suggest stories to follow up on, please let us know at info at plainsfm.org.nz. Kia ora. Anthea Maddell and Helen Thompson produce a local podcast about sustainable living and waste reduction. It's called So Circular and it's available on the Plains FM website. Here, they chat about an easy gateway to help you live more sustainably. In some of our previous conversations we've had around the way that people decide to make a change is that everybody has like a different catalyst for their own personal thing. So um, one of the really common ones that I've come across is that beeswax wraps seem to be a thing that people see as their like gateway into sustainability or zero waste stuff. And so if mm-hmm. they get beeswax wraps to swap from cling film and then from there take on other things. So that seems to be a good first step for some people. Mm. Um, and shampoo bars, replacing shampoo bottles is another really common one at the moment. Mm. Um, and there's some awesome shampoo bars out there now. So, so I'm trying the no poo, which sounds like a horrendous <laughs> <sounds> medical. Awful. <laughs> Don't call it that. Okay, I'll start that again. It's called no shampoo. No shampoo. <laughs> I found that summer is a good time to try out no shampoo, with the theory being that if you stop washing your hair, it goes back to its natural, glorious state of loveliness. <laughs> like your hair. <laughs> Thank you. I stopped washing it in, I think it was August last year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and now it looks great. I mean, it really looked great before, I can't remember. <laughs> but, so I'm three weeks in and I've discovered summer's a good time because I swim a lot, so it helps keep yeah. it under control. So week awesome. three, apparently three more weeks, I'll have like supermodel here. Maybe she's born with it. <laughs> 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 so everyone can try that, but I can't do any important meetings for another three weeks. <laughs> I have to wear a hat. <laughs> yeah, I found that um, I, it's something I wish I'd done earlier. I've gone my whole life dealing with the hair that I've hated dealing with, and now not only do I not have to wash it, but I also it's awful. Like it's not as awful to deal with in general. Mm. And you don't have to buy any more shampoo. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about the palm oil in the shampoo or the shampoo bar or the packaging or the store money. It in your shower. Oh my gosh, the oh, list goes on. It's so hard. And you get beautiful hair at the same time. <laughs> That's winds all round, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to It's Getting Hot In Here on Plains FM. If you want to check out the podcast, go to the Plains FM website. Next time on the program, an insight into Extinction Rebellion Otautahi. If we're going to adapt to the climate crisis, all of those big power imbalances are going to need to shift. And that's not something that a government can just announce. That's something that everyone's got to participate in on a daily basis. My name's Josie Butler. I'm a registered nurse and activist. Um... I guess most famously known for throwing the dildo at Stephen Joyce, but also being involved in a lot of other causes. So, brief summary on me. Oh my goodness, I didn't know you were the one who threw the dildo at Stephen Joyce. (laughs) Plus, we open up the cooling centre. All these things that you're already being told are good for you also happen to be good for the planet. 
So it's all very well quoting the science or warning or podcasting humanity's pending doom, protesting the population's apathy. So on the basis of actions speak louder than words, it's getting hot in here, thought, let's report about the actions that have moved beyond planning and are actively in play. This is the quieter electric version, minus the emissions. Sustainability really is driving all of this. The cooling centre is a centre, place, studio, set aside to gather, present, expose the stories of people, communities, businesses, in fact any ideas or activities already having positive effects on their place, the environment around them and potentially beyond them. Anything, everything from a city dweller curbing his personal carbon emissions to a climate education curriculum being introduced to schools. So what we eat really is a big part of the climate puzzle. Climate diet advice. I mean, we may not all be able to afford an electric car or putting solar panels on our house, but we all have to eat every day. Uh, the aviation knows that we have to become more sustainable uh, as a group. All electric commercial air travel. The e-plane revolution has begun, albeit for short hauls. So to stop it getting so hot in here that it's too hot to handle, the cooling centre, this program's place for revitalisation. The flight may have just been 16 kilometres from takeoff to landing, but those four minutes made history around the world. Many thanks to everyone who helped make this program. Tanya Didham from Eastern Rising, Michelle Whitaker and Sharon Torstenson from Flourish. Production support by Sheldon Murtha and I'm Laura Gartner. Thank you for listening. Ma te wa.